0: You are listening to John Gerica on SAFM.
1: Let's talk about some different kind of sports for a little while. And a regular guest here we have on SAFM, Brad Bing, MD of the Sporting Chance Foundation. Brad, good to- talking to you again. Tell us about what you've been doing with the Calypso program recently. Uh,
0: hello, John. Well, first of all, thanks so much indeed. I really appreciate it. We, um, John, you know, we, we've been running this uh, Calypso program for the last 30 years, Um Initially throughout South Africa, and obviously with COVID now we've obviously been limited to um, minimal space because of because of the pandemic. But um, we we Calypso cricket uh, for those the listeners is um, the West Indian style of cricket that they introduced tens of thousands of children to uh, cricket by playing cricket on the beaches in the Caribbean. And um, obviously, what I did was uh, I played cricket overseas for for 10 years. And every time I came back to South Africa, I'd try and explain to people what we need to put in place, you know, and how we need to market and promote the game. And one of the things I'll never forget is talking to, and I'm going to name drop here, it was a guy called Michael Holdings, who was <laughs> with me in Derbyshire in 1985. And one of the things he said was that he, they used to run in and bowl and skid the ball off the water and play mm. beach cricket. And of course, I thought, "Wow, what a great idea to bring that to back to South Africa in the in the in the late 80s, early 90s, and to market and promote the game to kind of hundreds of uh, tens of uh, uh, hundreds of children throughout South Africa on our beaches." And that's exactly what happened. And 50 years later, John Wee celebrated our 50th um, anniversary on the home of Calypso Cricket, which is uh, Sunrise Beach near Musenberg in Cape Town.
1: I just want to go back to that past. There was a urban legend, and I didn't believe it until I started talking to you about how those great West Indian sides of the 70s and 80s, that's how they learned to play cricket. They were fearless of a fast ball because they knew, they were so used to those fast balls coming off the water on the beach. John,
0: you know... I played a lot, not a lot, I'm a, again, I'm going to name-drop against a guy called Devin Malcolm who came from right. Jamaica, and we were in uh, Derbyshire in 1985, and um, one of the things he spoke about growing up was when he was growing up in, in Jamaica, they used to run in, and you know there's that a little bit of water um, left when the tide goes out, and they used to mm. run in and get the ball to whip off that water, and of course... All those West Indians or the Great West Indians learned how to cut and to pull, and that's exactly where it came from. Because you never pitched the ball up, you always dropped it short, <laughs> and you and you got the guy out. And what they used to do was they'd have a keeper, a slip, kind of a fly slip and a gully, and they always used to get the guy flying on the back foot, trying to work the ball through the the third man area. And of course, the guys would get caught out in the slip or the gully. And you know, to this day, if you look at the great slip catches of the Caribbean. They were the club Lloyds of this world and the Viv Richards of this world and the Roger Harpers of this world. They were unbelievable. And you listen to them talk, and that's exactly where they learned it. So mm. that's exactly what i try to bring to South Africa. And, um, you know, we've, I think we've had some success, John, along the way. Um, but I would never lay claim to anyone who's gone on to become successful, um, uh, lay claim to them. What All I do is, uh, we do as an organization, is to facilitate the... Opportunity for these children to be exposed to cricket, and then they've got to be they to take it forward themselves.
1: You're very humble, but to have Temba Vavuma, one of the best bowlers in the world, come from the program—that's a little feather in your cap.
0: Yeah, he's not the only one, you know, John. Um, We—I'll never forget it—in 1991, um, a youngster called uh, Tommy Colletti jumped on a yeah. bus from uh, Washington Street in Langa in Cape Town. And he came down to the beach, and he was brought um, down to the beach by a guy called Ezra Kagui. And him and Tutu Mazee, he went on to play uh, SS schools, funny enough, not cricket, but SS schools, hockey. And Tommy was also a gender hockey player. And um, they came down. I've still got video footage of Tommy. He, must, he can't be more than eight or nine or possibly ten years of yeah. age playing cricket on the beach. Now, he obviously went on to captain the Lions, played for Province, and then I think he had a few games for South Africa as a keeper. But he's not the only one. There was Nono Pongolo. If you if you know your cricket, he comes from uh, Cape Town as well. Nono uh, went on to play for, for first-class cricket and he played for the Lions. Malusi Saboto uh, opened the bowling. He went to three states and then from three states he went to uh, Northern Transvaal Titans and he's now actually at the Lions, now playing. Timba um, uh, Babuma has gone on to play for South Africa. He's our T20 captain and ODI captain. But again, you know, John... All I can say is, and I, and I certainly mean it sincerely, I will never lay claim to anyone becoming a success. All I do is I facilitate the right opportunity for them and to make mm. sure that they're given the right direction in life. It's those guys who grab the opportunity themselves or the guys who become successful. And all those guys I mentioned grab the opportunity and yeah. the rest, I suppose, is history. They've all gone on to play really, really, really good cricket.
1: Yeah, that, that's an important lesson that you're saying there. Yeah, we hear about these programs, and you know, they, they do good work, but it, it is up to the individual. Once they've gone to, through a program or they've gone through a clinic or something, if they really enjoy it, it it's still difficult work to continue and become a superstar. It's not because I played Calypso Cricket, therefore I am great. Timber and all the guys that you've mentioned have had to do a lot of work to get to where they are once they've just been introduced to the game.
0: Uh, John, you, 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 your your words are absolutely spot on. you know, I keep talking about the guys who are successful in life on the sports field, i'm I'm, I'm not going to speak business because uh, I'm not qualified to do that. but those guys whose work ethic is absolutely top draw and mm-hmm. uh, but not only in cricket, but in all sports, their work ethic, and their discipline is is huge. And the, if you want to be successful uh, on the sports field, your work is that you've got to take it and run with it and make sure that you are the one asking the questions and working the hardest and, and putting in the the, the the most effort. And it's the guy who's the most disciplined, who gets up early in the morning. He's the one who's um, first on the bus, first to practice, last to leave. He's the guy or she's the person who is the one who's going to become successful. And often, John, I get, talk, I get asked to speak about um, what I've, I've picked up over the last 31 years through Sporting Chance, uh, how do we relate that to, to business, so from the sporting side into business? And I just can't, I, I think one of the things that we always talk about is the work ethic in business is exactly the same as the work ethic in um, on the sports field. And then again, the discipline in business, if you want to be successful, you've got to be the one who's who's at the forefront of, of making sure that you not necessarily first in the office, but you're always the one who's working hardest, the guy who's the person who's driving it, etc. So to me, um, a person who's well-organized and has got a good work ethic and is disciplined, are very, I find very few people who've got all three of those combinations who aren't successful. So, you know, to me, that's why I think these guys who grabbed the opportunity from a um, Calypso point of view and and, and grabbed it and fallen in love with it and said, right, I love this game, I'm going to go back into the communities and play what we, he joined another program we run, is a thing called Street Cricket so mm-hmm. we, we market and promote um, Calypso Cricket to get the kids or the children really hooked on it and said wow I want to actually play this game and then they go back to the community and we got a thing called Street Cricket which is exactly what, do you remember there was an advert a couple of years ago with, I think it was Paul Adams or somebody who said it's a day-night game
1: if you remember yeah, correctly, yeah. the kids ago. Long long playing again,
0: the yeah. in the streets
1: because you've got to go home when you got to go home when the street go gone.
0: Yes, that's something like that, yeah. And, and that's exactly what we did. And all we did was we put a structure to that and said, okay, guys, let's market the game to Calypso cricket. And when the kids, children, get home or get back into the community, let's actually then formulate the program that they can play street cricket. And that's where you learn to to uh, to bowl wider from the wicket or closer to the wicket. Uh, do you mm. bowl a bit further back? Do you go. If you're a batsman. You go over the top. Um, you know, one of the things we found that when we ran our programs, John, and this is not only just in Cape Town, this is all over from Kwamashu and Kwazulu Natal to Shosun uh, Gove to Alex and Soweto, was the, the guys, and it's a lovely story, I used to say to the guys, why are you moving outside of stump and hitting the ball over mid-wicket when you should be hitting it over extra cover? And the one guy turned around to me and said, because if you hit the ball into that yard, there's a dog and they know full well that these guys aren't going to go and catch the ball and they could run. the maximum you could run was five, I was six. And it was just, to me, that meant, uh, uh, you, know, you can hear I'm a bit passionate about it, that meant not only was this guy a very talented, or this person was a very talented person and an individual, they actually thought about it saying, how can I get maximum runs by, by hitting the ball into a yard where there was a dog and there's no way they were gonna, the guys were going to go and <laughs> fetch the ball until the, the lady threw or the gentleman threw the ball back over the fence again. Yeah. So it's little things like that that really, to me, sum it up how a person can either uh, – is, is going to make it or not going to make it. The person who's mm-hmm. relying on any, everyone else to make it in life never makes it. It's the person who actually <laughs> yep. accepts the challenge and goes for it.
1: I was just thinking about your your you know, the one that works the hardest, especially in sport, first in the bus and all that kind of thing. We were talking to sports journalist Johan Larue at the beginning of this program. More or less, what he said, you know, you gotta you gotta fight your way to get up there. You gotta go through a long, long time of training and and you know, doing the horrible shifts and and sitting in with other people before you get your opportunity. And it's the same in business. It's the same in any career if you're willing to put in the hard yards and that's a fantastic sports analogy, then you will eventually get to you, the place that you want to be. You are
0: listening to Sport Tracks on SAFM.
1: My guest is Brad Bing, MD of Sporting Chance Foundation. Brad, I want to move on from the past to the future. You've got some holiday coaching clinics. They do this through the holidays every year, I think. What do you got planned? Yeah,
0: um, John, very much so. We've uh, This is our 31st year of running these coaching programs, you know, so... Um, we unfortunately, due to COVID, will um, well. Let me start again with the with the um, COVID pandemic that has that has taken place. Our our affluent our market uh, is is going to be more focused in in Cape Town. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to to run our programs to us to us South Africa as we have done in the past. But they'll be at Constantia and Newlands and 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 stuff like that. So. We—it's it's brilliant. I mean, it's just unbelievable the talent that's come through that as well, which is which is another thing I can speak about. Um, John is—is is, uh, I remember um, uh, John Cullis coming down to the the coaching clinics and, and being a little nine or ten year old, just brilliant, and he was a well-organized guy, etc. And the one that I love so much, and I know he's a funny bugger, but is Herschel Gibbs? I remember Gibbs being this brilliant little oak. He was a little bit, he was quite chubby with his fat little face and he had freckles and um, he was just such a brilliant oak and he was always, the oak who was always full of fun, etc. And funny enough, we, we are still keeping contact with him. I was in contact with him earlier today, just saying, hi, uh, hi Gibby, uh, hope all well with you. I sent him some photographs of our Calypso cricket program that he ran on Thursday. Um, and typical Hirsch. her, she just comes back and says, hi, Brad, thanks so much, appreciate the the input, etc. So we've got those programs running in the Western Cape, but in the rest of the country, in the Eastern Cape, in Limpopa, Mapumalanga, um, Free State, and in Gauteng, we are running programs, um, and KwaZulu Natal, by the way, um, we're running programs in the various uh, township communities to, um, to identify talent, etc. John. So I haven't got the list in front of me now, so I can't give you the exact details but they will be taking place starting on Monday through to Friday.
1: Okay, so just so I understand, th- these these ones, these, these uh, holiday clinic timetables, Calvin Grove Club, Constance uh, Sports Complex, those kind of things, these cost money, but I guess that then goes to helping the development sport, right?
0: Correct, yeah. And then okay. what I do, John, is is the, the way we've run it at Sporting Chance in the past is the, the affluent market come down and they pay a fee, and then we take some of that money and we plow it back into the kind of the emerging markets, um, yeah. and, and that's how we've operated for the last 31 years. Um, then we, somebody heard a radio interview that I had done with SAFM about uh, two years ago um, and Capital Land. And they just said to me, Robin, I'm a phone me up and said, Brad, we run, um, uh, we've got various malls throughout South Africa. The various malls in those uh those cities or communities, whatever, would love to be able to to run this on a more regular basis. And so they came on board, and we now are able to run. I think it's in about 16 communities throughout South Africa. Sport coaching, not necessarily just cricket, but rugby, hockey, soccer, and netball too. Uh, every school holidays for these children. So that's a huge bonus for us, John.
1: Okay, so it's not just cricket, these holiday things. I'm having a look at your website now. You've got uh, soccer, hockey, you've got multi sports as well. So it's a whole variety. Plus, I love this. You do things for three year old children, tiny tots. Get them young, Brad. Get them young. Yeah.
0: Now, I'll tell you how tiny tots has come about is, is I'm totally, I'm not mad about it um, because the three year olds are just too young, John. And But <laughs> there is such a demand now for three year olds being able to catch a ball and and the, the pandemic has actually because they're not getting it at school yes. it's played right into our hands as such and we, we've got more and more parents saying please and it's not all about it's more about teaching the kids about um, the balancing and hand-eye coordination than anything else but the multi-sport is just fantastic. Those kids walk away from that John unbelievably uh, appreciative of what they get. It's not only about the balance and hand-eye coordination they get exposed to all the kinds of sports and um, stuff like that. And we talk to the kids, even at a very young age, about the importance of eating correctly and nutrition. Mm. And w- w- if you, you, and we certainly don't push anyone at such a young age into a sport specific. I'm a great believer that children must play as many sports as possible. Um, and then they will get to a certain age, we're about 12 or 13, where they'll say, wow, that's the sport I want to focus on. And when they get to 16, you'll find out that they've already kind of found the sports code right. that they, they will play for the rest of their life. And right
1: we yeah, sorry go ahead. Yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry,
0: John. No, I just I was just saying that so we we did research, if you remember correctly I spoke to you once about the Health of the Nation research that we did. We tested ten and a half thousand children throughout South Africa. So you can call each child a subject. And we identified from that, John that Children in life create their, their life patterns by the age of 12 or 13 and thereafter they follow. So sure. our programs are very, very scientifically um, um, focused on, on capturing the attention of children between the ages of 4 and 12 and making sure that they're eating correctly, they're they, uh, doing physically, physical education correctly, that they expose exposed to as many sports as possible, their hand-eye coordination is good, and then they turn around at the age of 13, 14 and say, that's the sport I want to do. So it's a very, very um, thought-out process on how we can uh, take sport forward in this country. And I just wish, quite honestly, that we had government supporting us because if they did, you know, John, I've, I've been a great advocate saying that if only government had backed us all these, for all these years, <laughs> yes. we wouldn't have a thing called quota systems in South Africa because in actual fact these children would just be, it would be a conveyor belt of talent coming to, uh, of natural talent and trade that we've got in our township communities. So, you know, I just again I, I I'm only now starting to for people to turn around to say, Brad, wow, what you've done over the last fifty years, what is it that made you produce these guys or facilitated the opportunity compared to we, we, we struggling to make sure that our our kind of our development programs are working? And that's mm-hmm. a major confer, concern for me as a South African citizen because there's it's not only about the kids playing sports, it's about keeping people active. And if mm-hmm. the children are active and they're given a little bit of direction and hope in life, then, then they, they'll go forward with a positive mindset. It's a child who grows up all the time, always saying I wish, I wish, I wish. It doesn't get it. It's a guy who turns around and eventually turns around and says, uh, well, bemoan the fact or moan about the fact that he was never given an opportunity. So I just like to believe that our programs that we've offered for the last 31 years have been um, professionally run and, and constructed.
1: Brad, good chatting to you again. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm just going to give out the website details and, and have a good holiday program.
0: Lovely. Thanks, John. And I always appreciate uh, your, your style of interviewing me and your, the opportunity you afford me. Without you guys, I wouldn't be able to tell my story.
1: <laughs> Brad Big, MD of Sporting Chance Foundation. Find out more about those holiday programs at sportingchance.co.za, www.sportingchance.co.za. It's going to cost you a little bit, not a lot, but it's for the whole day and the well it's quite good actually for a whole day and you can have a look it's all happening at kelvin grove and constantia sports complex find out more at chance.